0: How are we this morning? Good? Come on. How we doing? We good? God is, God is good and He is faithful and He is incredibly patient with us. That, it was humbling this morning, really it was, to go around to, to the guys and the girl in the band and, and, and every one of them, when, when they said... I mean, there was an inflection in their voice. There was a look on their face that, that their mind, you could tell, was going to a place of, of intimacy. When I said, what's your favorite thing about God? And one would say just, I mean, there would be this look of tenderness, and it would say forgiveness. Or, so, you know, what, what was, what's your favorite thing about God? There would be this look of triumph, and they'd say His grace. And, and this morning, I hope you can. There, there's an area in your life where you can, you can think about your favorite thing about God and what He's done for you through the grace of the cross and the glory of what he did there. This morning, I want to pray for us before we get into the Word. If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in Romans 13 and pick up where uh, Wayne left off uh, last week. And I've heard nothing but incredible things, which I wouldn't expect anything less from him, our senior pastor, uh, because he's pretty awesome. So let's pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. Father, thank you. Lord, when we say thank you, we... We declare that from grateful hearts, knowing, God, Lord, that the reason we see your word, the reason we see your grace, the reason we, God, have experienced salvation is because the Holy Spirit was active on our behalf. Not because we were good, Lord, not because we were put together. Lord, not because we made the right decisions or, or happened up on the right church on, on some Wednesday night or Sunday morning where someone preached the gospel. It's by your grace, Lord. It's by the goodness of the Holy Spirit that you drew us to yourself and you called us sons and daughters. And this morning, as we dive into the word together, God, I pray that you would allow the words to leap off the page. And not just to leap from the page, God, to, but to arrest our heart with truth. God, let us be encouraged and strengthened and blown away by the goodness and the faithfulness of who you are. We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. And No matter where you've came from or what you might be going through, I'm I'm genuinely, genuinely convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do a work in this place today. I'm genuinely convinced that every time we open his scriptures, he has something to say. I'm genuinely convinced that he will speak. So today, if you have your Bibles and you're in Romans 13, let's Let's begin, and we'll read through it, and then we'll work back through together. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling, I want you to hear that this morning, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's go back to verse 8 and we're going to begin to work through it together, just piece by piece. Verse 8, he says, O oh, no one anything. Listen, I, I want to talk for a second. I want to meddle for just a second because this this hits my own life and I believe it's something that we need to talk about in the church. There's two things in the church that often uh, the church will bypass. They will not talk about and usually they don't want to meddle in with money and sex and those are the two usually the problematic places in the church uh, oftentimes and a lot of pastors across the country they fall to either immoral sexual sin or they stole a bunch of money. So Um, We're going to talk about it, and we're going to address it because I believe we should. Listen, Paul touches on debt here, and Paul just kind of touches on debt. He says, "Oh no man, anything." He just kind of he kind of taps it and then he moves on. He's already he's already been in the area where he said, you know, if you if you're going to pay taxes, pay taxes. If you if you know, if you're under the leadership of a government, and you guys heard Wayne uh, talk about that last week. Pay your taxes, be honorable, be full of integrity. But then he says this, "Oh no one anything." And I begin to think and to wrestle through, why was it so important for Paul because if you if you're an American and you have an address, then at least once a week usually, maybe once every two Weeks, there's a random, you know, city financial or so and so, so and so sending you an offer to get a credit card, right? Anybody have a mailbox? Anybody not experienced that? Exactly. So, so, Paul, again, this whole book, we've been talking about how countercultural Paul is in America right now. It's like this, this idea and desire for instant gratification. Oh, you hadn't, you hadn't worked for it, you hadn't. Earned it, it's okay. Just throw it on a credit card and you know, make your heart content in the moment. It doesn't matter that that's going to cost two or three or four years or 20 years of, of tension and stress within your marriage and a bunch of fights over the course of a 30 year marriage over money. That's the idea of America. Well, I want it now, so I'll get it now. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Won't you to hear this? Proverbs 22 7 The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. He tells us in the scripture that the borrower is slave to the lender. That means that who we borrow money from, we are slave to. When we swipe that credit card, you are slave to the interest. And I know this is uncomfortable, and you're like, bro, you're in my pocketbook, and you're not supposed to be there. You can can talk about all the pretty things you talk about, about the grace of God and the goodness, but like, this is my pocketbook, right? But it, it makes us slaves, You see, teacher, I mean, I got, you know, I got, I got a credit card or three. I think the national average is like four and a half credit cards or something. I got a credit card or I got two or I got three. Listen. Debt. And, and, and you, you can if you want more resources, there's a guy named Dave Ramsey. He does it well. There's several other guys who focus on the word, and they, they talk about financial peace and what it means to be debt-free. And I'm not going to go into that this morning, but I do want to hit two points with you when we talk about, oh, no one, anything. Why was Paul touching on this? Why was Paul talking about? It? I believe there's two reasons, two central reasons. Number one, debt ties our hands. Debt ties our hands. It hinders missions. It hinders local ministry and it consumes our time. Those three are the subpoints under the main point. Debt ties our hands. I can't tell you how many people I've sat with who were engrossed in debt. They were surrounded by debt, but they felt this urge to serve in Peru or Uganda. They felt this urge to fly to, to China or Indonesia or Ukraine. They had this burden on their heart for a people group, but they were swallowed in debt, so they were, they were slave to staying home, and they were slave to working overtime all the time, and they were slave to paying off debt rather than giving their lives to the Great Commission. He warned against getting into debt because he said it ties your hands. You, there be so many times that you want to go and you want to do and you want to serve the Lord, but the dominating theme in your mind when you begin to pile up debt is, no, I, I have to pay attention to this. Because somebody will go and see those kids in China. Somebody will go and, and feed those in Peru. Somebody will share the gospel in Jamaica. But the bank will come get my truck. <laughs> right? Isn't that the way we... I mean." We're Americans, man. That's that's the way the gears kind of turn. You know, somebody will go and reach them, but man, that foreclose on my house. Debt handled unresponsibly will will, will tie our hands and it will hinder missions. It'll tie up money from our lives that we could be sending on the mission of God. It, It will tie up our time, our time, that we could be going and engaging in, even in local ministries, Even in local ministries right here, and I'm not talking about, uh, this is not, a. hear me when I say this, this is not TJ asking you for your money. This is TJ asking you to be wise about debt so that you're free to serve God whenever he calls. So you don't have to wrestle through the tension of a pile of debt. And some of you say, man, I'm already there. And in this moment you feel a weight of defeat, a weight of condemnation. Listen, that is not the Lord. There is freedom There are plans. Like I said, there's a guy named Dave Ramsey. If you feel that weight or guilt, and there's a lot of other guys, he's not the only one. He's just kind of been the loudest voice lately. You can have financial freedom in Christ. You can have financial peace in your family and in your life. So don't let the weight of guilt think, man, this is always going to hold me from ministry or hold me back. Listen, next part. Not only does it tie our hands, it binds our heart. It imprisons our heart and our emotions. You think about even in the context of marriage, in the context of your family, 99% of the decisions you may make, if we're going to go left, or if we're going to go right, or are we going to eat here, or are we going to eat there, it's based around and surrounded by where we're going to plan our vacation, on how much money you do or do not have, how much debt you do or do not have, and it binds your heart, it grabs your emotions. When the bank account goes below where you feel comfortable and safe, something begins, a visceral experience begins to happen inside of you, and this, this wavering kind of trust with the Lord, like, Lord, I trust you, but you know, I, I don't know about this. It controls us sometimes, it wraps up our emotions. And listen, it, that's against scripture. Listen, Colossians 3 2 set your minds on things above and not on things that are on the earth. Listen, it is difficult to have a heavenly perspective when we are anchored to this planet with debt. Hear that it is hard to have a heavenly perspective when we are anchored to this planet. By debt. To understand the transition between Paul's comments on debt and what follows, we have to grasp the real sense of what it means to be wealthy and overflowing with riches. If we were to ask, if I was to ask, who is wealthy? somebody would say, you know, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, who is who is rich? And you could come up with a few names in your head automatically, but there's a different definition for rich. Ephesians 3 8 says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the gospel, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You hear that? The unsearchable riches of Christ. We have to grab this reality that everything in this world is fleeting. Every joy, every I'm guilty of it. Listen, I'm not I, I told y'all from the very beginning when I started preaching this thing like a year and a half, two years ago, I said I won't lie to you. I'm gonna be transparent and real. And I'm that guy, man. I love to bow hunt, okay? A new bow comes out, and I'm like, I'm like some of the ladies in my family when a new shoe or purse comes out. You know what I'm saying? They they will beat somebody down at Target to get there first, or you know, it's at Macy's or wherever. you know what I'm saying? Black Friday, a black eye comes home. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are laughing a little tentatively because you were that lady that ran somebody over the card. <laughs> but I am, man. The enemy has done an incredible job of, of and, and I'm, I'm not against marketing, I think it's clever, I think there's a place for it, but he, he's done an incredible job of, of, of attaching our hearts to things and calling out to us from all kinds of mediums, whether it's, you know, it's Twitter, a commercial, a billboard, and this is what you need, you need this, and, and, and I'm serious, man, I, I'm around a lot of bow hunters, and, and guys, you just have to endure while I talk about hunting. I know some of you are like, oh, God. but a new one comes out every year. First week of November, there's a company called Matthews. They put out a new bow every single year, every single year. I'm like, I'm like a kid on Christmas morning. I'm like, I wonder what's coming out. I'm going to need it. And all my friends are like, bro, you you already got one and you shoot a lot of deer with it. Yeah, but that's the new one. Because I'm sold on the idea that I always need newer and better and more. And the more expensive it is, the better it is. And I should get it at all costs. And we're we're sold that way about cars, about houses, about jobs and positions. Hey, you, you know, whatever's better, you know, buy better. Even if it costs you debt, go into debt because you need the best. That's what we're sold the reality is it's this web of lies from current culture and the enemy to wrap up our hearts so that we're constricted and unable to do ministry. Cuz we don't we we do not have the right perspective of riches, man. Riches Christ. Riches equal Christ. If you have Christ this morning, you are wrapped in riches. If you've been saved, you were transformed. I don't care how much money's in your bank account. It's all going to burn. But the moment that you were saved, you went from rags to, I don't care if you had a million dollars in the bank, you were a pauper, you were poor, you were spiritually dead. And the moment that you gave your life to Christ, the moment that he rescued you, you went from rags to riches. And that is how we need to define riches this morning. That's how we need to look at wealth this morning. as Being rich in Christ, being wealthy in Christ, having all that we will ever need in Christ. Romans 13, eight. Oh, no one anything. Moving on to the second phrase in verse 8. Except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Listen, Christ established a new covenant when he was on earth that was wrapped around the reality of love. In Mark 12, 30-31, listen to what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second commandment is just like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Listen, I want you to hear this. Fulfillment of the law. The the law that had been established through the Old Testament was a series of, of, it was very easy to box check. Kind of like we do even today. You know, I went to Sunday school. Check the box. I went to Wednesday night. Check the box. Jesus doesn't care about the boxes that you've checked. He cares about your heart. So, Jesus came on the scene and he kind of destroyed the list. He kind of destroyed the list of, you know, do you go to the synagogue? Do you give the right sacrifices? No, no, no. The only requirement then was do you love me? Has your heart repented and turned from the world? Do you love me? Because that's the greatest commandment. Love me with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is putting a new idea on the scene, a new covenant. So hear this, the fulfillment of the law is no longer about us checking the box of good behavior, but about our willingness to love God and others, which is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our heart. God does not judge us on the the basis of our performance, you've heard me say this over and over, God does not judge us on the basis of our performance. He looks at us and He searches our heart. Do we have love for Him? Have we been converted? Have we been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? Have we had a shift inside of us towards Him and away from this world? Moving on. Romans 13. 9 through 10. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is what Jesus came on the scene teaching. You want to you understand what pleases God? You want to understand the law? You want to fulfill the law? You want to do right before God? Love Him and love others. It was that simple. At least 613. 613 laws in the Old Testament to scratch the surface. Multiple rabbinical laws to where you had to follow what you had to eat, what you had to wear, what the priest had to wear, how his outfit looked, what jewels were used. There were law after law after law after law. And Jesus comes on the scene with nail-pierced hands and a forehead that's been scarred with thorns. And he says, just love me. Just love me. I know you're imperfect. I know you can't keep the rules. I know you break them. I know you're going to fail, but I love you. And while you were yet a sinner, I died for you, so love me. That's the invitation this morning from Christ. Hear this. Love is the currency of the kingdom. It's the riches that flow from Christ and Christ alone. For us to understand what love really is and the love that we are called to biblically, it would be good for us to just briefly note what love is not. I want you to hear this. Love is not a movie. It is not a notebook. <laughs> I know a lot of you realize, like, man, some milk and some Oreos on a Saturday by myself and the notebook. I just like to cry. You know, this is love. I mean, I've never done that. Love's not a movie. Love's not a song. It's not a season. Love's not in February on a certain day. Love's not a color. Love's not sex. Love's not infatuation at first sight. Love's not vacation trips. Love can't be defined by how big a house is or how big a bank account is. Love love can be pulled away from all those things, and all those things can still exist. You can still have romantic movies. You can still have sex. You can still... You can still big build, houses, big build, ha- build big houses and bank accounts and, and, and have two or three people in your house that you call family and love can still be absent. Those things, I want you to hear me this morning, those things do not equal love. Love is so much more than something physical or emotional. I, I want you to hear this. Now, I want you to key in, lock in with me. There's a little bit of reading, so just hang with me. Look at the top of my head and just bear with me, all right? Love was there in the beginning. I want you to hear this. Love was there in the beginning. A part of creation. Love prophesied the serpent's demise in the garden. Love whispered to a young boy named Samuel in the house of Levi. Love had a whale swallow Jonah. Love closed the mouths of the lions for Daniel. Love has never failed. Love has never faltered. Love renews us day by day. But the coolest thing of all. It isn't some immaterial substance that makes us a certain way or makes us feel a certain way or a chill run up our spine. Love isn't some random thing, some Cupid floating around. Love has a name, and his name is Jesus this morning. You say, what does love look like? What does love look like, TJ? What, how do I find love? Look to Jesus. He said, are you sure about that? Beloved, 1 John 4, 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son to the world so that they might live through him. You say, what does love look like? It's the manifestation of Jesus on the planet, in flesh, called the incarnation. He was took on the flesh, the sinfulness of man, and he lived sinless and died on the cross for one reason, two reasons really, to glorify the Father and to show you love. To glorify his Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You say, what does love look like? Look at the cross what does lo- love look like in my marriage? Look at the cross. What does love look like for my, me and my kids? Look at the cross. What does love look like for my coworkers? Look at the cross. What does love look like for my neighbors and those that I don't like? Look at the cross. Look at the cross this morning. You say, TJ, are you, are you sure? Listen, the love of God was manifested through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus called us to love. He called us to love others as the way he has loved us. Listen to this. And here's the bridge, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So how did Christ love us? There's a little piece of scripture that I want to read to you. How did Christ love us? 1 Corinthians 13:4 through 7 most of us most of you in the room if you if you're churchy at all you could probably read or quote this whole thing starting in verse 4 love's love suffers long love is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself love is not prideful and puffed up it does not behave rudely it does not seek its own it is not provoked it thinks no evil it does not rejoice in iniquity and sin but rejoices in the truth it bears all things it believes all things it hopes all things and it endures all things and love never fails you see TJ what does that have to do with Jesus you you just said that you were going to show us how Jesus loved us so i want to break this down real quick with you listen love is patient Hear this. Every insult, every drip of spit from a soldier's mouth that ran down Jesus' face, every hurled punch or plucked hair from his beard, he was patient, long-suffering so that you and I could be free. This is the love that we were called to. You say, TJ, how did Jesus demonstrate his patience as he was on the cross and the men who, Scripture says that in the beginning God created man and woman, that, that they came together and said, let us make man in our own image, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity being present at creation. Jesus being slain from the foundation of the world so these men and women whom Jesus was a part, Jesus created were pulling on his beard he was looking out at the father's creation his creation And they were smacking him in the face. They were laughing at him. They stripped him naked on a cross for ultimate humiliation. Listen, the the route that Jesus was on was a major trade route, and that's why they crucified people there, for ultimate humiliation. The Romans wanted as many people as possible to be able to pass by in front of these criminals and laugh at them and throw things at them, see them naked and wounded. Ultimate humiliation. But he was patient. He was patient. Man, I, I'm not. There's so many times that someone crosses me, or, man, a lot of times somebody can just, you know, man, don't let my, don't let my order at, at, at a fast food joint take over, you know, 65 seconds, because I'll freak out, right? I mean, I usually don't, but I'm just saying, some of us, I mean, you know, and it's, it's different for all of us. You know, let my kid, you know, let my kid's voice get a little too loud, even if they're excited, and I, man, I'm, I'm quick to jump on them no patience you said tj i want to be patient you know our husband or our wife they say so we you know when we're impatient usually with the people that we love the most because we know they'll take it and they'll just keep staying shame on us you said tj how do, how do i obtain this kind of patience that you're talking about how do i how do i obtain this kind of love look to the cross this morning ask jesus he said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door would be open to you. It's as simple as that. Come humbly before the throne of grace and say, God, I want that kind of love for you. I want that patient love for you that when I'm walking through hard time, when I'm walking through suffering, and all I want to do is ask why. All I want to do is press you, God, because things aren't turning out the way I want to. God, I want you to give me patience so that I can hang on to you and endure to the end. So love is patient. Listen, Love is kind. Jesus is kind. When Jesus was hanging on the cross between two thieves for the purpose of utmost humiliation, he showed kindness. As the Roman guards gambled for his garments at his feet. Listen. As they were casting lots, they, they, they were playing dice at the foot of the cross to see who would get Jesus' garment. A lot of times it's so easy to judge people who aren't kind and people who play games with God, but oftentimes I've found myself playing games with God at the foot of his cross. I've been the soldier that's rolling for his garments. You know what I'm saying? I'm the soldier that's playing games, that's putting on a mask and coming to church and playing the part, and I'm playing these games with God at times. We've all done it. In the midst of... Of their depravity, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He looks down on their game playing and when he could have, he could have poured out judgment, he could have spoken a word and every bird, every bird stopped singing, every river stopped flowing. The tide just began to stop in the ocean. He could have spoke with that kind of authority and he used his authority to say, Father, forgive them for they have no idea what they're doing. He looked from the cross with kindness So, love is patient and love is kind. Listen, love does not envy. Man was made in the image of God, where what is there to envy? Jesus doesn't envy. Love doesn't envy. Listen, you were fearfully and wonderfully made as an individual to live in community for the glory of God. You don't have anything to envy. You're an adopted son and daughter of the king. Ask God to remove envy from your heart, to let you love like him. Listen, love does not envy. Love does not boast. There's a deep humility authored in the believer. Paul said, if I boast in anything, let me boast in the cross of Christ. We're quick to boast in our accomplishments and boast in our stuff and boast in our successes. But at the end of the day, all we have to cling to, the picture of love, is boasting in the cross of Calvary. Love is not arrogant or rude. We're so often entitled. We want things our way and they're going to be our way. Christ on the cross submitted to the way of the Father. He was not arrogant. Love does not insist on its own way. You say, well, how, how did Jesus show us what love was in that. Listen, he said, Father, if it would be your will, let this cup pass from me. He looked at the dregs in the bottom of the cup of God's wrath, and he said, this is too much to drink, Father. If it, if it would please you, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, what? Well, do you remember? Not my will, but your will. Listen, love does not seek its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Listen, if you were to put me or a family member of mine on the cross, I would probably wrestle with resentment. Not Jesus. He poured out redemption. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Listen, love bears all things. I want you to hear this. Jesus... We're looking at Jesus in this text because love has a name, and his name is Jesus. It bears all things, and this is where I want to get personal. Every single sin you've ever committed and ever will commit, he put on his shoulders on the way to the cross. The cross was just a hunk of wood, but it was a picture of him carrying the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus, it bears your sin today, and you say, TJ, what about this one, or what about this one? Maybe that's spinning in your mind, and the enemy's saying, yeah, but what about this one nobody even knows about? Even that one, even that one that nobody knows about, that happened 20 years ago, that you still wrestle in your heart with, even that one he'll put on his back and take it joyfully to the cross. Scripture said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame for the joy set before him. It was a joy for Christ in the midst of his agony to carry your sin to the cross because he knew what he was accomplishing. Love believes all things. It hopes all things and love endures to the end. Jesus will walk through you, walk with you through your sin this morning. He'll walk with you through your suffering and the incredible thing about Jesus is when our legs begin to give out on the Christian journey when our hearts begin to to fail us when we grow weak and faint, or, you know, our morality begins to slip and we begin to, to do things we never thought we would in the moment of weakness, in the moment of, of turmoil and stress, when we have we're just given out and we're dry and we're drained and we have nothing left to give this life. What we realize is that Jesus, He can endure that till the end. He can walk along beside us, and when we, in, in the moment of our weakness, He's there holding us and cradling us and carrying us. Scripture says that He conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. The word in the Greek conveyed means to pick up and carry like a baby. Listen this morning, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant, love does not insist on its own way, love is not irritable or resentful, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love has a name, and his name is Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you asked this love to invade your heart, to invade your life? Because he will. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you need Jesus this morning, approach him. Approach him. Love is the currency of the kingdom, okay? Okay. Love is the way that things happen within the body of Christ. And we draw from a fountain that will never run dry. You may wrestle. Nick, if you'd come this morning, Nick's going to come and lead us in a time of response. But listen, you may be wrestling this morning. You say, TJ, man, I've come to the cross a thousand times. I've come to the well of love from God a thousand times. And I just feel like he's tired of hearing me. His ear doesn't grow weary. We tune people out so easy. We, we get tired of listening when people ramble on, but Jesus is there, and his ear does not grow weary. His arms do not grow tired in holding you. Listen, if you need him this morning, he's present and he's available. Next, he's going to sing a song of, of, of response, and, and listen, if, if you don't know Jesus, we don't, we don't do this that often, and we, we always offer a time of response, but listen, if you are lost, and, I, and I, I'm just going to put you on the spot because eternity is more significant to me than embarrassment in the moment. If you're lost and you don't know Jesus, ask Him to save your soul. You can come down to the front and talk with me, and if you don't feel comfortable coming to the front, man, grab me after service. John, any of us, any any person you see in leadership here, they can talk to you about salvation. If you do not know Jesus, listen, if you have played the game at the foot of the cross, You've been a member since 1945 and you 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 have a perfect tithing records, but you know today that you have no intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and you never have. I pray that you would have the boldness to repent of false religion, of dead tradition, and ask Jesus to save you. Listen, if you're a believer this morning, you say, TJ, man, life is just... It's been hard lately, man. It's been heavy. There are times that I've been—I'm frustrated with God. I'm frustrated with my family. I'm frustrated at work. Like, man, life is just hard. I invite you this morning to run to Jesus. I'm saying it one last time, His arms will never grow weak. The only arms, the only sinless arms that were ever stretched across the cross, the only ones that ever endured the nails, will not grow weak. He will carry you today. He'll Wipe away your tears, man. <laughs> He'll renew your heart. His name's Jesus. Let me pray for you, and then we'll respond. Father God... Lord, I have no idea why you save sinners. But you do. And you do it joyfully, God. So this morning I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would would rescue hearts, that you would allow today to be the day that men and women go from death to life, Lord, that they're from, God, eternal poverty to eternal riches. God, that today would be the day that that men and women who've been playing the games at the foot of the cross, God, like I've done so many times in my life, today would be the day that they drop the dice at your feet, God, and they say, I want to be serious with you, God. I want to follow you. God, I pray for the believers in the room this morning who are are walking in weighty circumstances, and life is just kind of beat them down. God, I pray that they would just trust you. They would lay all of their burdens at your feet and believe that you are the God that can carry, will carry, and will endure to the end. We love you, Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar's open. If you want to pray, if you want to talk and pray about salvation, we're going to take a few minutes to do that.